Welcome to the Idaho Family Report. We are talking about education. Who is responsible for educating your children? Does the government play a role in that? Should they fund that? We will discuss. Stick with us. All right, welcome to the Idaho Family Report. I am one of your co-hosts, Josh Bales, pastor at the Well Church. With me, Blaine Kazadi, president of Idaho Family Policy Center. Brother, how are you? Good. How are you, Josh? I am well. This is our holiday special. It is. Right? Right up before the holidays. Uh, we want to remind you that on January 20th, we have Kirk Cameron coming into town for our winter gala. It's our Standing with Conviction event. Don't want to miss it. This is a great way to support the work of Idaho Family Policy Center. If you go to idahofamily.org, you can find all the information about individual tickets, business sponsorships, even a church could sponsor a they, table. They could, yep, yep, host a table and uh, have eight people from your church come on out and enjoy the event. You know what? If you go, I will give you an autograph because <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be there. It's going to be awesome. It will be. It will be. <laughs> Today, we are talking about education, who is responsible for your education, whether or not government should fund a child's education. And I think one of the biblical concepts that we should talk about before we get into the meat of the discussion is the idea of sphere sovereignty, which comes from a a Dutch theologian named Abraham Kuyper. Do you mind explaining sphere sovereignty and why it applies to the questions that we're going to answer today? Yeah, absolutely. So... Kuyper essentially just popularized an idea that had already been around for centuries, that God had given uh, man these gifts of these different institutions. So the institution of the family, the institution of the church, and the institution of the state, and he imagined them as spheres, and each sphere had different powers and different responsibilities. So all three of these spheres are created by God, ordained for his purposes, and he delegates certain responsibilities to each of these three spheres, to each of these three institutions. Yeah, and that's important, especially the ordained by God part. Like, these are not inventions of men. Yep. And so, biblically speaking, if we're talking about the state— uh, this, when we're talking about the response, the powers of the state in Romans 13, Paul says that the state has the power of the sword. So Paul says in Romans chapter 13 that he, the state, is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. So the state has the power of the sword. Criminal justice. That's correct. Um, both the legal system as well as the power of administering punishments as God's ministers for lawlessness. And that, that power is non-transferable. I mean, the, so the family can't say, you know, we're going to start exercising the sword and the church can't say we're going to start exercising the sword. These powers belong to each sphere. Yeah. So if the church notices that one of its members is engaging in an illegal activity, it would be unbiblical for the church to hold a trial for right. the purpose of administering civil punishment that's right and then throwing the throwing the member in the basement jail <laughs> underneath the church right that would you, be, have you seen ours <laughs> <laughs> that would be outside of the jurisdiction of the church as god created it because that power to administer punishment for lawlessness is given to the jurisdiction of civil government that's right so then another sphere that kuiper uh, pointed to was the sphere of the family and if we're talking about the power that belongs to the family, we would call it the rod or the staff. 
in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, So there are certain powers that belong to fathers and mothers that would be super inappropriate for either the church or for the state to grab a hold of. Yeah. Yeah, and in that passage that you just referenced, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Paul mentions two specifically, being correction of children and instruction and education of children. Right. Both of those responsibilities fall under the jurisdiction of the family as God ordained it. That's right. That's right. I guess we should have ended there, but we'll, we'll, I'll circle back to that. So the third sphere then is the sphere of the church and the powers that belong to the church are the keys of the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The keys are exercised when the gospel is preached, offering forgiveness to repentant sinners and So that's opening the kingdom of heaven and then closing the kingdom of heaven to those who are impenitent or unrepentant. That's done in part through church membership. That's right. It's done through the sacraments of who's allowed to come to the Lord's table to take communion. That's right. You know, the the sacraments, the preaching of the word, and obviously church discipline falls under the jurisdiction of the church, not the family and not the civil government. That's right. So it would be inappropriate if the state came in and tried to regulate our membership or tried to regulate who could come to the table or tried to tell us how we should preach the gospel. Those are overstepping of those bounds. Yes. All right. So circling back to what you said. So then here's the question. What sphere is responsible for education? Yeah, we just we just mentioned it, right? Paul's a very clear. It's the family who's responsible for instructing the children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That's right. Which I hope Christians can grab a hold of that. It's not just that verse, it's actually all over the scripture. Like in Deuteronomy six, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one that's called the Shema, and he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and you shall teach these to your children these words uh, when you sit down, when you rise up, when you go along the way, when you sit in your house. And so the family is responsible chiefly for the education of its children. So my question to you, that are there intersecting lines here? Like, can these other spheres cooperate with the education of our children? There could be. So you see in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, and it's clear that Jesus is commanding Christians to teach all the nations. And I think part of that falls under the jurisdiction of the church itself. But when we're talking about children, the primary responsibility, the, the, the covenantal leader who is responsible for educating the child is clearly the father and by extension, the mother under the father's authority and the family at large. That's right. Now, I, I hope that these words are, are, are landing with our listeners because by and large, for at least a century in American history, we have delegated these powers over to the state. Yep. And yeah. that's largely why we find ourselves in the situation that we're in. In many ways, parents have abdicated their God-given responsibility to educate their children, and the civil government has been more than happy to usurp that power, to take that power that, again, God never gave to the civil government to begin with, but usurp it and take that power that's not rightfully theirs. All right, stay tuned for segment two with Linda Patchen with Homeschool Idaho. We're going to talk about ESAs and threats to homeschooling freedoms in Idaho. All 
All right, welcome back to the show. On the line with us today is Linda Patchen. Linda and her husband homeschooled all four of their children. She is the president of Homeschooling Idaho, or it's Homeschool of Idaho, right, Linda? Just Homeschool Idaho. Sorry, I didn't mean to mess that up. This is an organization (laughs) that fights for homeschooling rights in the state of Idaho. She's been a part of that organization since 1998, a founding board member. You recently had uh, a seminar at our church, and many of our congregants were so blessed by the stuff that you brought, like just stuff that they were totally unaware of. It it has helped inform them on how to move forward in their homeschooling. So, so thankful that you're with us on the line today, Linda. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Linda, thanks for being here. First question for you. Today, Idaho families experience unprecedented homeschool freedom, but that was not always the case. And you were around for a lot of those battles in the 1980s and the 90s, which we'll talk about more. Could you tell us about the history behind our homeschooling freedoms here in Idaho? I'd love to. Yeah. Um, So homeschooling's always existed in Idaho, but at varying levels of freedom. And in 1984, our law, our Idaho Code, said that, that the trustees of every single school district got to determine whether or not a family was qualified to homeschool. And in 1984, there were three families. These three families decided to homeschool, and they could not get the approval of their school district. And they decided to go ahead and do it anyway. And as a result... All six parents ended up in jail for a six-month jail term, and their kids were all taken away and put into foster care. So jail time for families in Idaho who are educating their kids but didn't get approval from the local school district to do so? Right, from their uh, trustees of their district, yes. Crazy. That's unbelievable. And there were also criminal charges as well for families who would homeschool their kids and their kids would be truant to the public schools. Well, in those days, um, yeah, truancy, it was uh, the child was the one charged with habitual truancy and not the parents, even though, you know, it's really the parents' responsibility to, to determine and to get their kids to school. But um, at that time, yeah, even the children were charged with habitual truancy. Crazy. So what happened? I mean, obviously, as I said earlier, we now experience unprecedented homeschool freedom in the state. What's changed since the 1980s and the 1990s when parents were being arrested for fulfilling their God-given duty to educate their kids? Well, what happened was um, the families that were homeschooling kind of got together and they started an organization. And um, that organization has now become Homeschool Idaho. It was originally the Idaho Coalition of Home Educators. And um, they started working legislatively to pass better legislation And so in uh, 2009, the law changed so that individual trustees no longer had that um, ability to approve or disapprove a family because it it set up an unequal standard across the state. For example, my husband and I decided to live in Meridian School District because they took an easier stance on homeschooling than the Boise School District. And it shouldn't have been that way. It's a state. It should have all been uniform. So we worked hard for that passage of that bill. So we just we have just worked hard to keep walking back the regulations and the things that have kept uh, homeschooling from being fully legal and and fully free. And so uh, in the process of doing that, 
Idaho now has the best homeschooling law in the United States. We have the most freedom of any state. Now, my wife and I started having children in 1999. And of course, Josiah, my oldest, wouldn't have even been ready for school, you know, until 2005-ish. So a lot of these people, you know, are, are coming, kind of coming late to the game. What would you right. say that homeschoolers today may be taking for granted in the state of Idaho? Well, I think because a lot of them did not have this struggle for freedom, so they don't really appreciate that. They just assume that we've always had it and that it's always going to continue. And they've gotten a little bit complacent about that. And a lot of them are trusting that they can create partnerships with public schools and still have their freedom to homeschool the way they want to. And that's just not the way it works. So they, they need to learn to value their freedom that they have, that they've been given. Let's talk about school choice and specifically education savings accounts. Last year, Arizona passed a law that gives a significant amount of money to families who homeschool their kids or send their kids to private schools. Um, and there's a lot of support among the conservative movement for this idea of school choice, the money following the child. Should homeschoolers take money from the state? Should they support an education savings account program in the state of Idaho that the state of Idaho deposits money into on their behalf and they can use it for homeschooling expenses? Well, um, in my in my opinion and in the opinion of my organization, they, they need to be very, very careful. And they, they should really look into all the strings that are attached before they, they get involved in something like that. And um, we all know that it's great when you get money, free money from the government, but nothing's ever really free. Mm. And when homeschoolers get involved in this type of a partnership with public schools, they are going to lose that hard-earned freedom that we worked so hard to achieve here. And um, the, the truth is we already have school choice. We can choose whatever kind of education we want for our kids. What school choice legislation is about is who's going to fund your choice. And they think that all taxpayers should fund my choice to homeschool. Uh, it's an attempt to put all types of education under the control of one education monopoly. And that's what we fought to remove ourselves from so hard for the last 40 years. And so they're, they're really going backward as a freedom movement to get involved in, in taking the money and, and passing education savings account legislation. So we always say that to get the cheese, you have to step into the trap, right? The mouse steps into the mouse trap, right. the cheese, and there's always, there's always strings attached, as you mentioned. Just to make this clear for our listeners, um, whenever you see a school choice bill brought before a state legislature, oftentimes it limits the use of those dollars that the state gives to the families to what's called qualified educational expenses. And these qualified educational expenses include restrictions on how you use the money. You can use it for this curriculum, but not that curriculum. You can use it for this type of extracurricular activity, but not that. And so whenever you take the government money, you open yourself up to intervention and regulation from the state government. Correct. And you never gain freedom by trapping more children in the system. And, and so you're going to lose freedom. You're going to, um, we fought hard to, to not have to be required to take state assessments. And 
that's just thrown away. They're going to they're going to have to uh, participate in state assessments, and those state assessments are going to be aligned with things like critical race theory, transformative social emotional learning, and it's going to matter a lot more. And the state wins either way. If our homeschooling they children, do. if our homeschooling children do poorly on these these tests, then they could say, "Oh, look, uh, they need our help." And if they do, and if our homeschooling children do well on these tests, then they can say, "Look how good these children are doing once they're getting our help." It's a yeah. it's a double edged sword that only yeah. hurts homeschoolers. Correct, and and there's just you're going to be forced into a one size fits all system once again, where you don't have real choice in. The, the materials that you use, the teachers that you select, if you're if you're using a tutor here and there, um, and like you said, the activities, and and there's a strong agenda behind it, but it's not conservative. Yeah, I, I got to say and, this is this is where we need to be aware of Satan's devices. So as a pastor, you know, there's some scriptures that come to mind. You know, Jesus talked about how the children of this age are are wiser than the children of the kingdom. I mean, this very legislation called school choice. It's like the Respect for Marriage Act mm. that recently came down. The, well, that's the furthest <laughs> thing from the Respect for Marriage. It's disrespect the, for it's Marriage the, Act. Yeah, and same thing with the school choice. It sounds so. Oh, I should totally be involved with that, right? And it's like, no, it's whoever defines the terms wins the debate. And and there's a there's a subtlety and a and a wisdom here that's dark. And so just I, I would encourage our listeners, be aware. Don't fall prey to the the, the devices of, of the enemy when it comes to even language like school choice. All right. So um can you can you tell us about maybe something that, that's related, this idea of partnership with public schools? Yes, I can. Um, so already there are school districts in Idaho that have learned that they can capture a good deal of, of the federal and state funding by partnering with homeschools and by giving a small portion of the funding back to the parents, they capture the, all the rest of it. And, and once again, those students that get involved with it, with that, they, first of all, they enroll in that school district. So even by the act of enrolling, they are no longer homeschoolers. They are enrolled in a public school district. What they're doing looks very much like homeschooling, but they're enrolled students and they are required to take state assessments. They're required to um, interact with teachers that are monitoring what they do. Um, and they can only use certain curriculum, or the state will only pay for certain curriculum, certain activities, definitely not anything that's Christian. So they've captured a lot of homeschoolers into these programs who have chosen then volunteered to give up their freedom in order to get back a small portion of money. Yeah. And the real winner here is the public schools, right? Who keeps receiving that money for the students who enroll. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Some of these districts are now the largest some of the largest districts in Idaho. Wow. Wow. So you've brought up standardized testing a few times. Um, Homeschool Idaho has worked to ensure that homeschooling families are not subject to state testing. However, Homeschool Mm -hmm. Idaho does offer standardized testing services for homeschool families. What have you guys seen with the results from those tests? How do Idaho homeschool children perform, especially when compared to kids from public schools? That's a great question. Well, we use the old standard, the Iowa assessment test. These are the tests most of the adults uh, in Idaho took as children. Not testing Common Core, but testing skills, right? (laughs) 
they are. They have have gotten some of that in them now. We use an older version, but these are nationally normed tests. They are based on achievement on a wide body of knowledge, not just the knowledge that Idaho, Idaho schools think Idaho students need to know. Um, this is an international test, and it's voluntary. So any homeschooler that decides they'd like to know how their kids compare nationally and internationally with other students their age, they can participate with us. And we don't see their actual scores, but we get a collective. Here's how all the Idaho homeschoolers did this year. And those scores are fantastic. They are about 30 percentile points higher than any other form of education in Idaho. So we're, as a group, we are doing really well. Wow. That's amazing, isn't it, Josh? Yeah, praise God. Well, it goes to show you, like, when we actually operate within the bounds of God's design, that it actually works. That's not to yeah. say that uh, a, a family can't do, like, a Christian private school, but that's that's the real mm-hmm. difference here. Like, these moms that are pouring into their children, of course, the children are getting, like, individualized care, but they're also learning a Christian worldview. Like, yeah. like we're going to talk about in our in our next segment that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yep. That's not a surprise. That's yeah. not a shocker that, that homeschooling families are doing 30% better. Yep. No, so, and, go and ahead, Linda. I'm it's sorry. very private. So anytime you have a lower teacher-student ratio, um, it's only going to benefit the child. You have a teacher who loves the child, not just likes them. They love them more than anyone. So there's a lot of reasons why homeschooling is so successful. Yeah, no one cares more about the outcomes of the child than the parent, right, who has that natural bond with the child. Right. So we are heading into our 2023 legislative session. Linda, what are some action points? I mean, maybe not only related to the legislative session, but what are some action points for homeschooling families to help continue to protect the freedoms that we have? Well, um, that's a great question. So every year, one day uh, during the session, homeschoolers have our what we call our show and tell down at the legislature. We get down there and take over and tell our legislators what homeschooling is like. And so we call it Legislative Day or Pie Day because homeschool families uh, provide homemade pie to the legislators and their staff. What? And it's, it's a very beloved day down there. And so we have students that display uh, projects that they've been working on. We have uh, homeschool musicians playing. And it's, it's just a great day. And so get involved. Um, bring your homemade pies. Send your kids. Um, but get on our website and, and register to, to participate. We also do capital field trips during Legislative Day just to show children that it's not such a scary place down there at the Capitol. As someone who's been down at the Capitol for the last several years, I can attest that the quickest way to a legislator's heart is the pie, the homeschool pie day really does <laughs> matter. And Linda, where can they find out more about Homeschool Idaho? What's your website? It's real simple. It's just homeschoolidaho.org. Homeschoolidaho.org. Thank you, Linda, so much for joining us. We'll be back with more Idaho Family Report after this. Man, Josh, I am thankful for the work that Linda Patchen is doing because I don't think most Christians recognize the threats to homeschooling freedom and to the family that seemingly innocuous programs like ESAs or partnering with your local public school yeah. presents. 
Yeah, I imagine a lot of Idaho homeschoolers think, oh, this is money to help me with my education, so why wouldn't I take it? But there's strings attached. Or I'm paying into my local public school anyway, so let's take advantage of their programs. That's right, yeah. So I'm so thankful for the work that she's doing to help Christians have their eyes open to what these things mean. Yep, absolutely. So Mortimer Adler wrote a book called Reforming Education, The Opening of the American Mind, published in 1977. And he said something very important regarding how you begin any task. So he said this, quote, the ends are the first things we must think about in the order of practical thinking. The ends, the ends are the first things we must think about. So consider when you're preparing for a road trip, how do you prepare? Well, you have to think about your end destination first. You have to ask yourself, how long will it take to get there? How much gas will we need? How much food and clothing will we need? What will we need when we get there? So the end of the trip determines how we prepare and live now. And the same thing is true about education. Like when you're starting your child out in kindergarten or first grade or at the beginning of any school year, the first thing you should be asking is, what is the end of this education? So, brother, what is the end of education? I think that's spelled out in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, where we're told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the idea there that, that the ultimate destination or the end of education is fearing God, knowing who he is, knowing how he has created the world, how he has taught us to act and to think about his good design. That's right. And there are many other verses. So Psalm 111 verse two, great are the works of the Lord. So that's everything, astronomy, mathematics, science, grammar, great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. So two plus two equals four teaches you uh, not only mathematics, but it teaches you the fear of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, the honor of the Lord. The order that God has created in all things. The logic of all things. Yeah, yep. And we talk about history, right? The ways in which God has providentially intervened in human affairs and has directed history toward his ultimate goals, um, obviously being the redemption of the world. That's right. right? And, and bringing glory to himself. And so when you think about education as the way in which we learn about God, we learn about his character, we learn about his works, and then we serve him with that knowledge, there's no space left for a secular education apart from God or apart from Christ. That's right. And so... Christian, when you begin education with your children, have that end in view because that will determine every practical step. Like, well, what should I do with my children? How should I teach them? Well, if your end is glorifying God and enjoying Him forever, then you're going to automatically exclude certain options uh, from the table. Yep. Yeah, we talked earlier about Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, which clearly delegates responsibility for educating a child to the father and to the family. And again, listen to what Paul says in this. He says, the purpose of education is to train a child up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Or you think about the Great Commission, right? Again, we mentioned that earlier, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. And we as Christians are told to teach the nations the things that Christ has commanded. Teach. Educate. The purpose of education is to learn those things which Christ has commanded. To bring them under the lordship of Christ. Yes. Amen. Well, uh, one way that you can do that this next fall is enroll your children in Christus Victor Classical School. Josh, tell us about this. Yeah. I'm, we're so excited. We're launching this school this coming fall, God willing. And uh, if you are 
you know, you're not in a place where you can homeschool your children or you're looking for another option, if you go to ChristusVictorClassicalSchool.com, you can find out our philosophy of education. You can see the God-centeredness of what education ought to be. We are taking enrollment for students right now. And if you are a teacher looking to teach in a Christian school, why don't you give us an application? There we go. Hey, Josh, really quickly, tell us what makes classical education different than other types of Christian education? Yeah, so one way to answer it is that a classical education uh, reveals the true and the good and the beautiful. And what is ultimately the true and the good and the beautiful, but but God himself, yeah. he is truth incarnate. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. Uh, he is good. Jesus says, no one is good but God. And he is beautiful all over the Psalms, tells us to worship God in the splendor or the beauty of his holiness. And so a classical Christian education uh, has its its God-centered as opposed to student-centered. Yeah. Everything revolves around uh, the center who is God. And instead of trying to replace the family as the one responsible for educating the kids, I'm assuming Christus Victor would partner with the family oh, to absolutely. help them fulfill that responsibility that God has given them. Absolutely, yeah. Christus Victor is coming alongside of of families, partnering with parents in the education of their children and and ultimately submitting everything to God and his word. So what's the website, Josh? ChristusVictorClassicalSchool.com. Josh, you might close this out in prayer. Absolutely. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the great work that you have accomplished in 2022. Uh, we thank you for making your name known more and more to the ends of the earth. And we ask for 2023, God, um, that you would... Uh, bring the nations more and more under the loving lordship of your son through the power of your Holy Spirit to the glory of your great name. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Keep the faith, keep up the good fight, and we'll see you in the new year. 